Welcome to the Waste Not What Not podcast. I'm Philippa Ross, human ecologist, enthusiologist, author and energy healer, bringing you inspirational interviews, news and tips to rebuild the relationship between people and the planet, the way nature intended by revitalising our natural resources, minimising waste and maximising human potential. I trust you'll discover seeds of hope for a vibrant future so you can cultivate and transform them to suit your own lifestyle in order for us to collectively create a world where reverence for the diversity of all life is honoured. You'll find all the show notes in the description and lots more about me and my work at philipparos.com. And don't forget, if you like what you hear, be sure to share far and wide. Hello Wastebusters, welcome to episode 42. I had a fantabulous wee sabbatical in Wellington where I experienced the aptly named WOW World of Wearable Art Show. Pure creative alchemy featuring costumes, dancers, aerialists and musicians who gave a spellbinding performance that transported the audience to a world where the magic of the imaginative mind comes to life. Now not everyone has the same creative flair but we all have the ability to create change using our imagination. This coming Sunday 9th of October in the Northern Hemisphere and Monday the 10th in the Southern Hemisphere we'll experience the power of the full moon which invites us to release anything that no longer serves us and use our heart as a compass to make our dreams a reality. My guest today, Jules Bright, can attest to the power of nature to alchemise dreams into being. Jules has endured the hero's journey to find her way home to the heart of what matters most to her infusing the spirit of the forest with her own to produce powerful plant potions that nourish the ocean, fulfilling her soul's quest to restore the coral reefs to a colourful, blooming wonderland. Welcome to the show, Jules. It's lovely to have you. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. Real honour to have this chat. Many years ago, I did some chanting with Jules, and I've known of your work for a long time. I actually have some of your Earth's Kitchen sunscreen as well, which we'll get to later on. But you have an extraordinary story to tell, which, as far as I know, started off in your training as a nurse, and you were a nurse at Harley Street Hospital, I believe. Yes, that's right. Uh, King Edward VII Hospital for Officers. It's a hospital on Harley Street just for royalty and military. So our patients or clients were mostly royalty, actually, under various different aliases. And it was very creme de la creme, you know, the private rooms, the ensuite and marble bathrooms. And so that was quite an experience as a surgical sister in charge there. Well, so was it very male dominated? Was it what, what kind of era were you this? The late 90s were you there? Yes, it was. It was around 96. So I was in London for about five years and I wanted to reach the pinnacle of my nursing. And I was uh, doing night shift there. And then I ended up being sister in charge of the acute surgical unit. So doing theatre and surgeries. It was a very starch environment. It was very, like most hospitals there, very based on pharmaceuticals. And that was my world. And intuitively, it didn't feel right with every injection. So I used to do creative visualization with my patients and I got my third warning for practicing witchcraft because they didn't need pre-medications because they were so chilled out and feeling great. Wow. (laughs) But it wasn't protocol. So I decided I need to leave there and go for a six-week trip to India. 
and just go and get lost in India. Two years later, I was lost and found (laughs) and had an amazing experience there, which changed my life. Many, many experiences there changed my life, but just got me onto a whole new trajectory of what felt right. And, you know, I really felt like I was coming into why I was born. Mm. Um, I had these strange ways of being. I didn't know they were strange when I was a child. I used to communicate with plants in a way that they would show me their properties through pictures. And I thought everybody had that. It's like you don't discuss the color green. You just assume everybody's seeing it. Well, mine was uh, in communication through visuals. So I'd sit with a plant and then it would show me different ways how it can work with our bodies. Wow. And that's how I started understanding medicine. And my grandmother was my doorway into that world. The rest of my world was quite conservative and very much you know, Panadol for, and antibiotics and, and mm. brought up like that. So it was uh, in my actual natural environment but it was in my internal and my medicine lineage in that environment so it spoke to me it really spoke to me the people of India and how they lived with and of the earth. Was there nothing around at the time if you had these visualizations as a child was there nothing that you could have done to take it further then or were you meant to be taken on the journey so that you could do the work that you do today? Yeah, I believe everything for a reason, absolutely everything. So when I spoke it, I was brought up in a Catholic school. Right. It was seen as evil, strangely. I was sent to the principal's office so many times for asking questions about plants and nature and why this and why that. And I was that kid that was, I was a little fairy child and not quite letting the religious thing adhere, but more a nature spirit. And it wasn't accepted at all. My parents weren't really in that world, although from a farming generation, but my grandmother was. And so I used to go to her place and we'd go around the garden first and she would speak to the plants and their properties. And then we'd go in and have a cup of tea and some home baking. And so she was my gateway, really, my wise woman. Wow. Thank goodness. But it let me pressure and and put it all to sleep. I had out-of-body experiences and then I couldn't tell people about it because it sounds like a different world. And I was punished for it, really. I used to get the strap, you know, the, the nuns would give me the cane and <laughs> for asking life questions. So I let it just go to sleep. And it wasn't till I ended up in the outback of Australia for my first nursing experience and meeting and going on walkabout with our brothers and sisters out there. I just had this massive relief washing over me that this was my language. And that sent me on 10 years walkabout around the world, living with different indigenous cultures. So it felt that my people were people of the earth because they spoke in their general conversations of the stars and our ancestors and the roots and the plants and the waters, and it was all one. So I didn't feel like I was going crazy. It was actually a different language that was coming through me. And there was almost a potency of that suppressing it or letting it sleep. Mm. It didn't die and it didn't get conditioned out of me. It was just the magic would bubble through now and then it became my secret world. And I was brought up very much like the Kennedy family, lots of, you know, very political life near the beehive and lawyers and judges and politicians around was our social environment. So I learned to read between lines and hear words, but then see truth. So I think Mm. I started honing my skills for my own amusement (laughs) in a world that seemed quite structured and concrete and male dominated in that sense. It honed my intuition and my feminine senses. I say masculine, feminine, but I'm talking the more the yin, the hidden, the womb, the 
the sacred world um, was nurtured still within me. There was definitely that spark of life that was just keeping that flame going. And then it just burst open when I was with my soul family, I guess, out there in the world. Well, so was your accident that happened in India, was that kind of the transition or was it later when you were in Australia? Yeah, I would say that's when things came crashing literally to a absolute change in my way of thinking. Yeah. And I was with a partner at the time, we were going 80 to 90 k's an hour on a motorbike and you don't wear helmets or, you know, just singlets and shorts and bare feet. And we, <laughs> this dog shot out from the bush and then we just hit the gravel and we were skidding on bare skin on gravel Oof. in a complete world of pain. I know you can feel it in the Oof. nerves. But it was a contrast to just we were singing and we were in a world of love and freedom and it was a complete world smashing like that, literally. And we were nowhere. We were in between little villages and it just happened to be outside this earth house with an earth oven out the front and beautiful plants around. And we just felt these nurturing hands and soft voices picking us up off the road and picking our bike up and taking us inside. And all spoken in Hindi and the women were telling the children to go and prepare something from the garden, I guess, because they came back with these awful tasting herbs that they were heating up in milk um, and coconut shells. And I was drinking it and I could just feel this happiness infusing through me. And they were really broken, torn up wounds, about half my head, my face, my right side that I thought I was going to be living with scarring for the rest of my life. It was that bad and and the sort of wound that nurses don't like, that don't join. And they just got to work with all things coconut. So they started cleaning it out with coconut toddy, the fermented alcohol that's left on the tree, washing it with coconut milk, cutting strips of the flesh and placing it on gently, wrapping it with coconut fibre. And we were drinking what I guess was an opiate drink. poppies or something because it was absolutely incredible pain relief and then they asked us to say the night and and made us a beautiful meal in the earth oven all the while singing and what we would call karakias or mantras they were just singing and talking and I was high as a kite telling the best (laughs) jokes and I think I've never sung so well (laughs) and joined with them and I seemed to understand what they were saying and they were just so nurturing and beautiful these women and children just knew what to do like the best hospital I've ever experienced and I'd been nursing for many years and so the next morning when I woke up they took our bandages off and it had already started granulating pinking over and I was the wound care nurse in Middlemore Hospital here and I knew wounds you know I used to travel to to deal with wounds and what I saw was miraculous and I thought, what, why the best we've got in hospital is Caltostat, which is the seaweed dressing you leave on for 24 hours. This was incredible. And then they had these little glass vials where they'd made their own coconut oil. And they did the same dressings overnight and then gave us a, a glass bottle of coconut oil and said to put it on in the morning, lunchtime and by the light of the moon, which we did. And in two weeks, there was barely a scar. I've got a little scar left on my elbow. And so I set off in the world to see what else is out there. Why are we treating people with chemicals and and things that turn the alarm bells off? And, you know, I wanted to Mm. learn the native medicine of India. And then, then that satiated my appetite to go walk about with many different cultures and to live and immerse myself into ways of healing, sustainable ways of being with our planet and learning of plant medicine as a bullet 
um, as far as, you know, not going on a three-month healing journey, but bang, it's healed. Right. And that's the what I've been brought up with. If you want to use herbs, it's all very well, but you're still going to feel pain. It's going to take months to heal rather than a week. And oh. it was the opposite. I learned emergency medicine using our plants and karakia and introducing the whole notion of the stars and the spirit and the, and the earth and the fungi and all of it as a holistic health practice. Yeah, the, I've come across the expression botanical intelligence, which to me, the universe, the environment out there is a field of intelligence that we have not tapped into. So it would have been mm. beautiful for you. You obviously had that connection, but it sparked it for you and, and then you blossomed. So what other <laughs> countries did you go to? Um, you mentioned Australia. Yes, Australia. I was honoured to go and walk about with the woman there. And we ended up living in Broome for a couple of years. That was at the end of the travels. In India, I, I learned with the Sadhu Babas and Ayurvedic. I learned Ayurvedic medicine. I lived in Israel for a year, Cyprus. I lived with the Sudanese, Tibetan. Yeah, and then Germany, across Europe, the Celtics. So each time it was six months to a year, I would immerse myself and so I'd be getting up at four in the morning and chanting in the temples and fasting and doing, you know, just as if I was them. I lived in the Bedouin villages with them. I had to sacrifice a goat at the top of Mount Catherine. But I just was one of them, lugging earth bricks in the middle of the day and bare feet. Didn't have shoes for a year. I grew my own shoes. So I just molded into, you know, it often shocked me looking at my pale skin because I felt like I was one of them and I surrendered to the culture, to the music, to the medicine. And that gave me a deep education mm. of not just the medicine and sustainable ways of being, but of joy and passion and abundance and prosperity and love and community and all those things that we like to put uh, poverty and, and a different picture on these true earth warriors, mm -hmm. they were my best teachers that I could, you know, I've got so much gratitude for. I didn't plan or have a protocol for going to these different cultures. It was all in the flow, all in that field wow. of just getting on a ferry and landing the next morning in a country and then just being led to the right place, to the right village. And it was just showing up. And they were like, hey, sister, come and join us. At one point, a family of nine moved out of their house so I could sleep in there. They gave me half of whatever they had, pure service, pure giving, mm. and, yeah, incredible sense of unity. And that acceptance from another culture, that must have been quite humbling. It was very humbling because I looked strange. You know, I had black dreadlocks and <laughs> looked like a bit of a freak, bare feet, a woman showing up on a motorbike. The women were veiled in many of these villages and then slowly they'd let me veil down and smile and the next thing we're all giggling away in a circle. But I, I looked like an alien, I'm sure. I was wow. this strange woman that was lost in India but found, like I'd never felt so found. And not long before that, you know, I was nursing the Queen Mother in a royal hospital. So I, I really surrendered to the flow and just listen to where life was drawing me and to be so accepted every mm. single time mm. um, has blown me away. It really blew me away. I didn't know that was possible. You know, you just go anywhere here in the city. It takes so long to integrate. You'll be living next door to someone for two years and not know them. And yet we were acting in a space of love and being in community immediately. Is there anything that they were doing or the way of being that you have been able to 
adopt and integrate and influence other people? I think so. It's taking it personally that the forests are being wiped out through greed or control, taking it personally that we're poisoning our environment. When I say taking it personally is we are the voice and the heartbeat, the two arms, the two legs to do something about it because we're witnessing it. So you you can't not see it. Mm-hmm. And then you do something about it. So that's what's influenced my life. They couldn't see someone go hungry. You don't just cook for yourself. You're cooking for the tribe. When you're singing, you're singing up the earth. You're singing in the, the love for all. There's no single, there's no I. Mm. and that's what I found the difference you know when I came back from living so long in the east the west was unbearable for me Mm. I would burst out crying in the middle of a supermarket from the sheer greed or uh, so many options but processed and not you know what I mean like Mm. there there'd be food where you could absolutely identify the grower the roots the the process the singing it up they're just different worlds Mm. And that's something that really spoke to my spirit and spoke to my soul contract or my heart to be, I am taking it personally, you know, something that really bothers me out there is where I used to snorkel over a flourishing, colourful garden is now wastelands, graveyards. Mm. And I can't show my children that unless we do something about it, which we are. And that's just a more social and global vision of, how things were and how we can replenish that again mm-hmm. by just not thinking of I and we and consumerism and this false sense of I. It's we're one people, we're one planet, we're one tribe. Yeah. Absolutely. So you came back to New Zealand, connected with the New Zealand forests as, as the plants that speak to you. Are they plants that you use as the basis for all your lotions and potions and tinctures and things? Yes, absolutely. So When I came back here, it was quite a guarded teaching. So I decided to do my naturopathy and medical herbalism, specialising in rungoa. So that's our New Zealand native plants. And had some wonderful, wonderful teachers and kaumatuas and kuia that would come and take me under their wing and show me certain plants. I built a bush laboratory, a bush lab, and also an emergency earth clinic because I was really missing the high impact nursing, you know, those 15 years of yeah. A&E and intensive care. And I suppose I was a bit of adrenaline junkie at the time. <laughs> so I joined the ambulance <laughs> and I, like, I loved ambulance work. And my emergency clinic was really just a health clinic, a holistic health clinic. So people would come for naturopathy or tinctures or body therapies and Reiki or, or energy work. And also emergencies. And I always used plant medicine instead of conventional medicine. And in those 10 years, I never needed to go back. So it's based on our very, very powerful New Zealand plant, you know, which has been wiped out at a phenomenal rate as well. And that's something that's quite a worry because it's been replaced by agriculture and pine and things that, you know, 80% of our plants are found nowhere else on the planet. And they're so powerful, they won't even impart their essential oils, most of them. So they, you know, you only need a couple of leaves and you've had a very stark therapeutic effect. And that's what I base my balms and creams and tinctures in my clinic on. And now I've specialised in sunscreen because it ties together my two passions, which is the, the coral, the oceans and the forests. And when we look at how it was, the circle of life, you know, the great glaciers would melt and that water would come down through the forests 
and land on the reefs and they were fish food and they were filled with micronutrients and minerals and vitamins that the coral and the fish eat. And then we came along with pesticides and herbicides and chemical sunscreens and all sorts of poisons and Roundup and things that have poisoned it. But it's actually the forest medicine where the forest meets the ocean. And that's why I came up with that tagline. It's from the forest for the ocean. It's food and medicine that the forests yeah. give the ocean. It's my life mission now. It wasn't really ever about sunscreen, but I knew that people were putting sunscreen onto their body, diving in, killing the coral with love, not aware, of course, beautiful mm-hmm. families out there with the oxybenzone and avabenzone and all these things that kill coral, just absolutely in one generation wiping out our reefs. It's quite a phenomenon, but luckily, you know, law and science have caught up and now many countries have banned chemical sunscreen or synthetic sunscreen. Hawaii, Florida, Mexico, been a few of them, Vanier Island, Palau Islands, instant $1,000 fine if you're found with chemical sunscreen in your bag. Wow. So it's fantastic because one drop of oxybenzone in six Olympic-sized swimming pools kills coral. And we're dumping 46,000 tons of it in the ocean every year. Wow. And we don't know. So it's just all it is is education and telling people this is an environmental toxin. And, yeah, you can't even use it or have it for sale or use in many places now, which is fantastic. It's not too late, but it's nearly too late. (laughs) So as most things, when it becomes critical, then we take action. This has taken you nearly 18 years to come up with it, hasn't it? It's been a process. Yeah, it has been a process. I I did start about, well, I can say now 21 years ago, because that's how old my son is, and I was pregnant with him when I started, and I thought, because I've been bleating on about this for years, (laughs) and so I started making a very white, pasty sunscreen that I'd paste on my children's faces before they went to school and then I got better and better and every year I'd test it and my goal was 100% natural made from our forests for the ocean and above SPF 50 and of course the whole industry and the experts that I went to said it's impossible you know if it could have been done the big boys would have done it by now (laughs) so I just heard I'm possible and I knew in my heart of hearts that Mm. it could be done because I was doing each year it was incrementally getting bigger the alchemy of it is incredible and that's what I learned on my travels too so what some will call pixie dust is actually there's something in there it not only has an SPF of 65.8 now but it increases as time goes on so what is it about that bio-intelligence I call it botanical intelligence because everywhere we are, our wild waters and our plants, everything we need is within five or 10 kilometers of us, within walking distance. So everything we need to survive, to forage, to to sustain ourselves in a healthy way. And our plants here with our harsh sun conditions have their own protection and they impart that through their medicine. And I use good healthy doses. And so that's why people's eczema and psoriasis and rosacea and all sorts of things heal up um, because they recognize that medicine and it protects them from the sun but yes it was a long process it was a a passion project and when you know you know and I had no doubt in my mind there was absolutely no and I loved it when people said you can't do it and so that's (laughs) it's like yeah so yeah (laughs) That's my motivator, and that's the rebel. So then we were the world's first biogross certified natural sunscreen uh, that was SPF 50 and completely natural. 
actually it felt great my people tried uh, to shut you down or shut you up or anything yes yeah many <laughs> yeah I bet many did Mm. And that also is for me that you're on a good path. It was never about building a big business or any of that, but it was about I want what I make here to land in every bathroom because its destination is the coral reefs, mm. which we don't have many of. But as you've heard, you know, mermaid pools and other places were closed because the life, the sea life, was poisoned by chemical sunscreen. You know, it's phytoplankton and it's Every second breath we take is manufactured by the ocean. And if we're going to kill off the algae, the plants, the animals of coral, then we cannot manufacture oxygen. So it's not just a, we want to look at pretty things and we're snorkeling. Mm -hmm. It's very, very serious concern. And I read, I'm not, I haven't checked this fact that 93% of the Great Barrier Reef is either bleached or dead now, mm -hmm. which leaves 7% of the world's biggest reef and Yes, I think we should all be taking that personally and just go, gosh, what have we done? Let's do yep. something positive about it. I think it's people's distance from it because I have a great link to the Antarctic because my great-great-great-grandfather discovered the Ross Sea. So one of the big things is kind of that out of sight, out of mind, like you say, with the corals, they're not on our doorstep and they're in protection for the Ross Sea. It's far away. So what the hell has Antarctica got to do with us? And one of the people I met specializes in krill. And after all these years, they've had their first World Krill Day, which was on the 11th of August this year. And it's just helping people understand that something microscopic like krill and the phytoplankton the impact it has on the entire life cycle and those waters don't just stay in Antarctica they move around the entire world and as you yes. say they are a life source we came from it we will go back to it and it's the combination of, of the land and sea are just at different levels serving different functions so to speak but it's all part of the same ecosystem isn't it Exactly, it is. It's one ocean. And when we look at the trade currents and the, the trade winds and the flow of life, it's all by design. It's perfect, but it's all one ocean and one planet. And that's what we need to remember. We're not just, you know, it's not just radiation in one area of the ocean. It's not just poison and or bills. It's yep. the one ocean. And now, because it was only a couple of days ago, it was on your Facebook page that you've just won another couple of awards. So you've got 16 awards for your sunscreen, I believe now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, which is great. Um, it's great in that people, it inspires confidence that the homework's been done. So that started a couple of years ago, which was amazing because everyone was in lockdown. No one was going outside to the beach, skiing, traveling, anything. So it was just me and still is running the business and what happened was the UK awards came out which was the best ethical product and the best plant-based product and winning gold in the UK awards for New Zealand was huge and then we got our most trusted sunscreen brand mm. at a time when a lot of the sunscreens are going by the wayside because there's more mandates which I love here in New Zealand and across the world so just proving your efficacy, and that's good because I did regulate and license the sunscreen worldwide before I launched because I knew these times were coming and it would get a bit of attention. 
Yeah, it's really nice to be recognised for that. And of course, a, a big honour, you know, in the Australian Awards for a New Zealand sunscreen to win is pretty big <laughs> for them, as we know what Aussies and Kiwis are like. <laughs> um, and yes, we just won Best International Product and Most Trusted Brand from the Luxury Awards, which is, you know, resorts and, and ocean liners and all sorts of things. So That's it's getting a wider look out there. We've had Hawaii very interested airports and getting it out to Florida and yes yeah, so we're, we're looking at our launch now so it was from very humble beginnings in my bush lab to now hopefully being a, a household name and that was my dream always and I'm not going to settle until it lands on the reefs we're part of coral regeneration projects in the Cook Islands the Blue Sphere Foundation and I've got friends that are in even Hollywood California that are pushing it out there as well just getting the story out there and that's what I love too, is we've alchemized that it's actually a nature story, but to alchemize it into a product that you can then hand someone and tell them the story, which is a deep, long, good story. And it's the way these forest plants have wrapped their, themselves into my spirit so that I can then get them out there in the world. So we've got people that have kawakawa and tamanu and moringa in their bodies and their systems of words that they would have never heard of before, harakiki. So the intelligence of these plants to enter our psyche and then our bodies and then we're affected and we're healed and then we're taking it to the ocean. I want to do a little Moana style, little mini movie, <laughs> Pacific girl diving in and then just the reef coming into full bloom again by because we got it. We understood that we can carry the medicine back to the oceans as nature intended it to be in the first place. Wow. You know nature is a process and it will take time. The integrity that you have behind what you're doing is just scrumptious. It really is. Yeah, it's all about your intent and wherever you're putting your focus is where your creative flow will go. Mm. And we are always and always looked after and the right resources and people. And I see life as my foot goes down the path forms just under it. And with surety, just stepping forward into that dream and into that vision, 100% of my life has shown me that mm. everything I need will show up. And mm. usually at the 11th hour or just in time, but you still jump off the cliff anyway, knowing, trusting well, that's that the, the next piece will show up. Well, that's the part of being human at the moment, and well, at any time, but it's really near that top of that mountain is where so many people give up because it's hard. And it's letting go and trusting that the process will unfold in the way that nature provides. Absolutely. And that's the initiation. You know, when it gets yeah. hard, it's to welcome that as an initiation. Often it feels like a wall and the yep. biggest challenge and possibility. And you know there's a treasure right behind it. And that's another thing that life will keep showing us. And so you persist, you push through, you go up, round, over, whatever it takes. <laughs> And I've got this thing where I track straight past it, the event, and then I look back at the event. So yes. you just track forward. It could be even a week later. Yep. And then you look back at the success of the event and feel just sheer relief, which is an underestimated emotion in my view. Mm. So relief feels like it settles the nervous system. It's a thank goodness. It, it, we did it. We achieved it. And all those feelings of flooding in and firing with your nervous system that you've done it. 
And that is how I think we get initiated to the next piece is in the dreaming and in the knowing and setting that attention just past the fact. <laughs> Not I've up heard to it the put fact. another way. Pam Gregory, the astrologer, says it as well. But when you're trying to chop a piece of wood, you look to the other side of it. And so if you focus on the wood that you're trying to, you'll actually mutilate your hand, basically. But, you know, she's a very slight English woman and you know, she said there was no problem when you look behind and it is a, a mental thing. And it's, it's got yeah. to do with the energy and going through it, not seeing that block because it, yes. it is actually just dense energy, isn't it, really? Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's just the tester. That's just a, you know, you need to push through something to get to the other side. Right. But yeah, often it's, yeah, that moment you were talking about where people just give up. That's that two inches from gold story. Two inches more and you would have made it. My brother just climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and it was that same process of one woman that was given up back at base, but she made it to the top because they talked to her with every step. Wow. Every step and the, the sense of achievement and the different mindsets on, you know, similar fitness level, but who got there with great gusto and the others that just crawled and made it. It's and quite amazing how challenges together, isn't it? I mean, how beautiful that she was helped because we're not meant to do life alone, are we? No, that's right. And it was, you know, the option was to take a helicopter back down or to go up. And she said, definitely going down. Wow. And they were like, nope, <laughs> we're not letting you. And none of them were going to go without her. And they're all strangers. There was only yeah. five yeah. or six of them in the end that made yeah. it that far. And they were strangers. And that's the tribe that we're talking about. It's just mm -hmm. we are one. We are one and we all go or none of us go. Yeah, that was a beautiful story there. And that's life to me too. I don't think it's an accident that we're star-seeded with these ideas and visions that are going to build the new world or the next piece and taking action, taking that dream and then scheduling it, putting a goal on it and action pieces. And before you know it, even if it feels ridiculous, you've taken one action, you've written one email, you've yep. rung one person yep. and then you're in the flow the momentum's yep. there the universe goes they're serious okay yep. and then yep. it pours Bring in it and you're away so you've got dream. a forest aid course haven't you online that people can make their own so what kind of things are up there i've been teaching for 20 years in person so it started off as a weekend retreat and then a one-day workshop where we would go and forage in the forest in the mornings and then in the afternoon we'd make 15 products so it was a full-on day and then you go home with a gift bag of 15 products that you've made yourself and the know-how and the recipes and then you go on making your own toothpaste or medicinal wine or wild pestos and vinaigrette they're all medicinal of course because it's made from our plants deodorants, insect repellents, bush balms, moisturizers, face scrubs, body oils. And then when we went into those crazy last couple of years, I couldn't in-person teach on Marais or biotechs or even workshops. And I'd pretty much put one post up and it would book out like that, or 25, 30 people would buy tickets. So I know we're in the times now that mm. we need to upskill. This is our future medicine and food. So I called it Forest Aid because I do teach some emergency stuff in there as well because that's still my passion, ambulance and nursing. And I did my pilot's license learning, you know, teaching about if you fall out of the sky and you're in the forest, what do you do? You've got a broken leg or your co-pilot has, how do you get out of there alive? And so these are the plants and the cobwebs and things that we use. So there's a little bit of emergency medicine in there, but mostly it's 15 recipes and me pretty much filmed <laughs> 
in the kitchen, making them all and walking you through the process, even like a sacred smoking herb mix that's really amazing for asthma and emphysema and lung conditions, and which feels counterintuitive to be smoking when you've got a lung condition. But just an incredible way of getting medicine into and around the body, including wildflowers, vinaigrettes for arthritis, and anything itis really, which is an inflammatory condition. So um, dermatitis, sinusitis, bronchitis is all an acidic condition. So how to alkalize through infusing vinegars with some of our very potent plants. Mm. And then anyone in the world could do it because I Mm. called it forest aid. The forest has come to our aid. We've come to the forest aid and it's a first aid. And that's what I've encouraged people in the course to do is to go find their herbalist Go find the plant people and go to the farmer's markets, wherever they are. You might be a 14-year-old boy in the Arctic or, you know, you could be in Sweden. Whatever plants that you would use for a pesto or for an insect repellent, then use those. I'm using rungoa, but these same techniques on how to make tinctures, infusions, body scrubs, all sorts of things. It really doesn't matter what the raw materials are because, again, botanical intelligence, you'll have the plants you need growing around you for local conditions. And they say that with nutrition as well. I mean, the number of stuff that I've listened to recently. In fact, it was a holistic dentist thing that I was listening to last night. And one of the things they were talking about is nutrition. Go back to your ancestral diet, because so many people have done these various extremes and not looked at what grows within their environment and knowing that that is good for them as opposed to the importing It's all common sense that we've lost touch with, really, ultimately. It is. (laughs) Absolutely. And all it is is knowledge, you know. It's just, I remember teaching on Marais and there'll be 400 women would show up and they said, my parents didn't teach me this, but I remember grandma always used to make us a kawakawa tea. Well, they always had kumaraho growing in the back, which was their elixir of youth. It tasted so bitter, but always kept their digestive systems clean and full of energy. And yes, it's just lack of knowledge. And that's something that us as parents can also teach our children. So I brought my kids up on bush medicine and they didn't know what a doctor looked like. You know, they were going mung out on the lawn like I would and any wound care or any, if they had a sore tummy, they'd scrape a little bit of inner bark of the hokiara and dip it into water and make a little gel water. But they'd learned to just do this stuff on their own. And I remember my little five-year-old coming into a bush class that I had in the forest and she was just naming every tree and every plant when she was just chewing away on tarata stem and, and our puppy bounding along. And these adults just had their jaws wide open just going. And she treated them like friends and she was just eating them and building out of them and making stuff while she was just being a kid in, in the circle of adults. And I said, well, there it is right there. There's your teaching. And I was taught by watching children out there in the world scaling cliffs when they were three or four years old and trees and the parents not worrying about it because they already hold the wisdom and they'll fall once and then they'll know. And so we used to let our kids do that and just vowed to bring them up on nature and know that everything they need, it's a very empowering thing to know that everything you need is right there in the forest, on the lawn, it's a hospital, cafe, temple wild waters you know it's things we need to be knowing right now (laughs) absolutely so I'll put all those kind of things in the show notes but just to round things off has there been a book and or person that has really influenced you in your life um 
I've always, always read self-discovery books since I can remember, so more so than novels or anything. I think the first one was a Celestine prophecy because it showed me that I wasn't going crazy with how I discovered energy. That was James Redfield and the prophet Cahill Gibran, more spiritual books like that that led me into that path away from, you know, the strict Catholic upbringing into more energy work and spiritual work, which was the world I understood. And as far as influence, I've had some beautiful mentors along the way that didn't know they were mentors and some were children. But Paropata is one of my greatest teachers. And I've followed along the Tony Robbins, the Brad Sugars and, and all of the people out there that have a dream and make it happen. Yeah. They're the ones that have already done it. And then they showed me the way. And then I wrote my own life coaching book, 33 Step Program, because I couldn't find a life coach. And I realized it was just a percolation of all the learning since I was 15. Is called that on your How website? to Shine. No, but I'm just putting my new website together. So I'll put it on there. It's called How to Shine Master Key to Your Awakened Life. Nice. It steps you through from dream to out of the rut to actualization. And it's the learnings of all the books and all the teachers I've had along the way. So fantastic. Yeah. And is there a quote that actually keeps you inspired or have you created one yourself? Created many myself, but (laughs) (laughs) just simple ones like follow your dreams, they know the way. That leaves a trail of sparkle that you can follow. And that's like when you have a dream, you have to grab it and never let it go. Yeah. So I'm a big one on letting dreams command my life into action. One I've got on my Facebook is life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. And that one is taking the leap, believing in yourself and going for it. So what do you do when you are in a funk or feeling down? Do you obviously go to the forest and immerse yourself in the energy of the forest? Yeah, (laughs) that's a perfect way. Actually, I challenge anyone to be in a funk or depressed in the forest. First of all, I engage the dreaming. So I go back into the quanta. I think I'm more star than earth. I go into that place and then just list it out and put three priorities down that the day cannot end without those three things being done. And that brings me the structure back to hang my hat on. One thing that I've developed since I was nine years old and now I teach my workshops is unhook and pyramid on. It's a big one. So as we are energetically pulled in every way, it's a way of unhooking and literally on Carillion photography, you can see those fishing lines with a hook often in the heart area. Yeah, And if you've got lethargy and circular mental arguments, those are two symptoms that you're being energetically fed off. And people will sometimes just think that's their normal state. And it's annoying because you can't access your true flow because you've just got annoying energy or arguments that aren't of your thoughts. So all you need to do is unhook and send it back to the source. So it could be a past relationship or someone in your life at the moment, just with a neutral no. Mm-hmm. or send it to the sun, which will burn it off and transmute it. And immediately you'll feel a lift. So you'll feel that lead blanket lift. Mm. And then we're all born with an alchemical blue pyramid in our heart space. And when I traveled the world, I learned every culture has this, dating way back to the Eastern Tara even has a little blue pyramid in the white Tara. We haven't learned to use it as a tool, but it's like a force field. So it expands out from our heart as the apex sits over our head and the base on the ground. And then it deflects upside down into a blue diamond. And in that is just unconditional love. And it's like those hooks or energy just goes tink, tink, tink. It could be like 
blue quartz or you know thick glass or eggshell it's usually blue and it's like our own personal force field and I discovered it from a young age and used it to go to some places in the world where normally a single female would not travel on her own Arab countries and I was always protected and always strong and confident in that so I just knew it so that's a really good way to get out of a funk because mm. often a funk is you're bombarded with the overwhelm or yep. the energies of others or the pull and there's too much. So to just stop, unhook and put your pyramid on. I was actually going to write it in a book, but um, that would be just the title. It would be all blank pages because <laughs> that's all you need to do. It's simple. It takes a few seconds, something you can do every morning with your morning shower or a ritual. And it's mm. just a fantastic way to come home to ourselves. I just saw that as your mountain and the blue being the sea. And it's really just a reflection of what you're doing. It's just scrumptious. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's really, (laughs) thank you. Yeah, it's it's really home. It's home to ourselves and our soul contract and our unconditional love and our heart. Mm. And if you're navigated by the heart, you can't go wrong. And I'm not saying by your emotions, but it knows the way. So, and then I just alchemized that into daily. I love lists and I love goals. And that's what my book's about actually is breaking it down to bite-sized actions. It's a bit like a reward system, just every day celebrate. Yay. Well, I did that and and looking back. Yeah, as you say, it's the small things, isn't it? I actually, in my diary, I have a list of things to do, but I also write down the little things that I have done. And it's amazing the ripple effect that they have and that sense of, yay, how uplifting it can be as opposed to going to bed with that complete head fuck as what I haven't done and what I need to do because I've done what I set out and if I haven't it doesn't matter that's just the way it is really (laughs) yes yeah because life will happen too and it's good to keep that flow open yeah I think it's good for quite very godmother not that it sounds like you need one because of all the amazing wisdom that you have um, a connection to (laughs) we all need one (laughs) (laughs) I'll be that naughty one then if I grant you one wish what would it be and why oh it would be flourishing colorful coral gardens back when that is right all is right with the world that's my wish is that they transform back into these blooming wonderlands in the ocean and then everything else comes right from there and I can see it and feel it and know it and taking steps in my very tiny small way to do that to help with the coral gardens and reseeding the coral and stop poisoning it a tiny fraction of what we can do but if we can tell that story and each person does their piece then I believe it's already done What an amazing legacy. Thank you so much for your integrity and love for the environment and for everything you're doing and your persistence. Bless you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's really lovely to have this chat too and to air out what our value systems are. So I really appreciate being on here with you, Philippa. Thank you so much. Bless you. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. What an amazing journey and such tenacious dedication to alchemise her dreams. But then, as Jules says, when you trust in the intelligence of the universe and know in your heart that it's possible, magic really does happen. There's a link in the show notes for her book to help you map out the actions to align your own life. Next week, I'll be talking to Keith Jackson, whose life shifted to a whole new level, 
way beyond anything he could possibly conceive, changing from CEO of a company to becoming an energy medium for healing with guidance from the spiritual realm to energise humanity back to health. Make sure you follow or subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out. All feedback and reviews are much appreciated, as are your suggestions for subjects or guests you'd like me to consider. Just email me on info at So until next week, dig deep, open your mind to a world of possibilities, live life with a generous heart and take steps to minimise waste and maximise your own potential.